1: All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Imperfectly Perfect podcast, where each week I'm joined by some of the world's most renowned faces in the entertainment industry, on the sports field, corporate leaders and inspirational thought leaders around the world, sharing their own truths and personal journeys. Today, we have none other than Joseph Barksdale, an American singer-songwriter and former American football offensive tackle. As a student at Cass Technical High School in Detroit, Michigan, Joe was heralded four-star recruit who went on to play college football at Louisiana State University, before being drafted in the third round by the Oakland Raiders, after playing his dues and proving himself in the NFL, Barksdale signed a multi-million dollar four-year extension with the Chargers, based in Los Angeles. Primarily a starter on a prime-time team in the second biggest market in the country, few would have guessed that Joe had been suffering from debilitating depression stemming from previously repressed childhood trauma. After preempted from committing self-harm by his wife, Joe began to get the word out about mental illness and wellness and succeeded in so far that he has honored with a mental health ambassador distinction at the dd hirsch health services 2018 erasing the stigma leadership awards so i'm honored to have him on the show today joe how are you i'm feeling a lot better about myself after hearing that <laughs> bio i'm not gonna lie who wrote that no
2: <laughs> like he's not me just just rub it off the shoulder there <laughs> hey as I'm listening, I'm like, I think this, I think he's got the wrong
1: guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I say, thanks for coming on the show. I, it was funny what, what really drew me to you when you, you spoke a while ago about a mentor who got you into football, but you said you played football, but you was never predominantly interested in football. Is that right?
2: Right. Yeah. I was more in love with like competition than I was with like
1: football. Well, that's good. And the reason why I brought it up was because I've never been into football. So we'd have no conversation regarding football. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But what I did love, I obviously, I I found you through Michelle Williams, the amazing Michelle Williams. And and we spoke a while ago about it and, and the stuff that you was talking about and your advocacy for mental health. Now... I suppose the thing with the IPC, the Imperfectly Perfect campaign, is removing that facade that people often think they know Joe Barksdale for. They see this amazing NFL career. They see the music, but they don't often know the story of what it takes to get there or what they've been there. So mm-hmm. you started playing football around 14 and gained a scholarship through academics. First, we'll start with sport. sporting. People, as I say, see this huge profile, that you got into that. But... Can you take us back? Because you mentioned that you were actually, was it from an early age that you you had the debilitating depression? Yeah. um, Yeah, I would say so. Uh,
2: Sorry, you know. (laughs) uh, Yeah, actually. And it's funny because my therapist and I were talking about that um, a few weeks ago. You know, you touch on the childhood a lot in therapy. And, uh, yeah, we got to the, I'm thinking it started around, like, or started getting bad, I guess, around eight or nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I said in Michelle's thing, you know, there's definitely, like, physical effects to mental illnesses too um, in terms of, you know, being tired all the time, things like that. Um, and for the longest time, I just thought I was, like, lazy and not motivated, you know. Um, so, yeah. but But to answer
1: your question, yes, it's something I've been dealing with since childhood. So what would it, if anything, because you're this huge advocate and and, and you talk openly and and publicly now about mental health. With what you've been through, what would you want anybody to understand and realize about mental health?
2: Uh, I guess two things. One, like just because you can't like physically see it doesn't make it any less significant. Uh, because we talk all the time about how everything's mental and how, you know, small percentages, small percentages of things are physical. But then, you know, when people are having mental issues or, you know, emotional issues and so forth. Now we act like it's, you know, a problem when in actuality, you know, you, we should be spending. I mean, if, if it's true, what people say they used to say this about football all the time, like it's 70 percent mental and 30 percent physical, those kinds of things. But no one would ever like take therapy seriously or going and speaking to a you know a therapist or a psychiatrist um and then i think the other thing i would say is i can't speak for everybody I, but people are i can speak for myself and people like me i guess it, we're doing the best we can um i think sometimes like someone on having, you know an episode or i mean i i use like Kanye West, for an example. My man don't have an episode and now everybody's like, oh, Kanye's crazy. What about all the episodes he didn't have? Or, like, all the things that he worked through? Like, I look at myself the same way, you know? Yeah. Like, everything's not going to be perfect. Um, And I think sometimes people think, like, if you're fighting a mental illness, that it's just gone. No, nah, you, you are fighting the mental illness. You have not defeated it. So, um, those two things.
1: Yeah, I love that. And when you touch upon Kanye there, when it all came out, that – he had bipolar, and uh, and for me to read that, I was like, "Why was that hidden so long from the media?" Because it it makes sense as to some of his behaviours and everything, and nobody should be judging anyway at the fact of that. Um, sorry, um, sorry about that. That's all right. Just got to call that. <laughs> um, <laughs> just take it, mate. While we're on air, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one thing I wanted to draw on with you, because you said in a, in an Instagram post, which when I was doing my research and looking, I really respected because you, you spoke about when there's these mental health awareness months mm-hmm. and then suddenly they die down and then the conversation s- stopped with a lot of people. Now, mm-hmm. why I respected it so much was because the IPC, we had an ambassador, Mel Greg on there, and there's a huge day in Australia and the publicity towards it is like ramping up throughout the weeks up to it. And then this is huge day and everybody is literally just asking people and playing on top of people, which don't get me wrong, is an amazing thing because it's creating that awareness for people who may not have known. But then we did an article, which actually got in mainstream media from Mel because it was like, well, what happens the day after when the media has died down and everything's quiet, then who's having the conversations? So Is that something that you notice in America as well? Why the Instagram posts?
2: Yeah, Yeah, I was just like, like during, during like Mental Health Awareness Month and so forth, it's an issue. Uh, You know, like it's a big discussion topic, but you're right. Like as the year continues to move forward, so we've got other things going on, you know, these kinds of things. And I'm not saying people shouldn't be focused on other things, but yeah, that... uh, the thing that kills me is like we'll have mental health awareness month and then people will still be surprised when someone kills themselves it's like what we just had an entire month talking about different issues that people suffer from oh i never saw it. you never saw it come okay but that's yeah i i the conversation definitely does die down and it's pretty frustrating too because one minute you'll have somebody like trying to stand up for you you know oh it's He's fighting mental illness. But then when you're actually, you know, like a symptom of the me- mental illness kick saying that he, he can't handle it.
1: It's, I don't know. But, yeah, yeah that's you know, what I wanted to touch on, because the the NFL, when I was looking, it does have that 24 hour suicide hotline. So for somebody in such a profession, before we move on to the music, mm. with such a high competitive, like at stake, sports and everything. Have they moved forward in terms of openly embracing? Because there's a lot more sports stars here in Australia that are talking about it. But I know one of the biggest sports stars, Willie Mason, came on here and he said back in his day, it wasn't openly spoke. So there was like five or six guys now in their older age that have actually come forward and says it was debilitating for them. So how is it in the NFL? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I don't watch sports, so I I couldn't tell you. Like I don't know. I mean, when you when when you was in the thick of it, oh, when recently, I was in the
2: thick of it, yeah. <laughs> nah, there wasn't much concern really. Um, people saw, at least when I was playing, people saw mental illness as like being mentally weak, which isn't, you know, which is actually the opposite of the truth. You're actually one of the strongest people if you're able to, you know, yeah, you know, go through these situations and so forth. You know, with a fifty pound weighted vest on your back, but. Yeah, no, I mean it was it wasn't really discussed um much when I was playing. Yeah. Like I think I would think if anything it it kind of like because you know there's still the stigma and so forth. I think the coaches, you know, started to see uh was mm-hmm. mentally weak, he can't you know, those kinds of things. Um when you're just sick. You know.
1: Yeah. So you don't you you don't watch football at all anymore then? Mm mm. I didn't watch. <laughs> I didn't watch while I was playing. Love that. Love that. But um, well, what came to the forefront is is obviously you've had four unsuccessful suicide attempts and trigger warning for anybody listening to this. I was way too but, late for that. No, I'm just. Yeah. <laughs> we put it on at the beginning. We we do put it on at the beginning oh, okay. as well, right? <laughs> mate. Um, but your wife, Brianna, obviously she walked in. Um, And then you started openly speaking about it. Was that like a weight off your shoulders when you actually did speak to someone about it the first time? No, I think it's more like um, I'm not trying to compare it to
2: cancer, but it's like finding out you got cancer. Yeah. Um, You know, all right, you know, after you've been diagnosed with the cancer, all right, well, here's the treatment plan. We're going to try these medications. We're going to be meeting this many times, you know, and you're just sitting there like, I really have cancer, you know. So I think at first I was just numb, but after sitting with it for some time and, you know, doing more therapy, obviously I got around to like, okay, this is, I feel like I'm getting better. You know, I obviously realize I have a long way to go, but I feel like I've come far. So.
1: And do you find it easier now just to have those conversations as a guy to other guys to get them to talk about it? I would think so. Um,
2: I will say, I'm naturally an introverted person, so when I first started talking about it, and that's not to say I'm not introverted now, but it was it was a lot more difficult. You know, I hadn't really spoken to people that often, and um, yeah, it was just more difficult. But now that you know, I've gotten the reps in, so to speak, and you know, I've kind of zeroed in on what I want to say and these kinds of things. It's been a lot easier.
1: Well, what you were speaking about on Michelle's was it, it was only recent in recent years that you were diagnosed with autism um, right. was on the spectrum. So that you was talking about you was an introvert and you found that hard when you found out that at a later life, later age, should I say. Was that a sense of relief that you could put it down to something again? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, I, yeah, I'm terrible in social situations.
2: And, like, for the longest time, I think people just thought, like, maybe not, like, I'm an asshole, but, you know, like, this dude doesn't understand how people work. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it was, so for me, it was great. Um, It answered a lot of questions. Once again, when I was first diagnosed, the numbness is still, it was like, I'm mentally ill and I'm autistic? Golly, you know. My wife really (laughs) lost the lottery on this one, but... (laughs) But, you know, as I as I learn more about it, um, it definitely lets me know that, like, I'm not crazy.
1: So that's cool. But I think, like, people need to realize, well, my sister, her daughter, she's just, she's on the spectrum as well. And I think people don't realize that that spectrum is quite big. And when you said people thought you were an arsehole, is it is it the sense of, like, there's an amazing show, The Good Doctor, where you just were so blunt because that's how you just, you Part to- of it
2: was bluntness and part of it was the self-centeredness. Right. Uh, well, I mean, I, I guess it would be called perceived self-centeredness. I don't see it as being self-centered. I just see it as me existing. Yeah. Because, um, like, my wife would say things, like, we'd be, you know, driving somewhere and we'd see, like, you know, a hiring sign at Best Buy. And she was like, oh, look, Best Buy's hiring. And I'm like, oh, I'm not making enough money? And it had nothing to do with me. Like, she was talking about, like, hey, we, you, I don't care how much money you're making. These discounts will still be great, you know? kind of- <laughs> Um, but yeah like even I mean for the longest time like if I was talking to somebody about someone else but me I would be offended the entire conversation <laughs> so like that answered you know that, that answered those kind of questions obviously like I, I'm I'm well not obviously but I am working on these things and I do like yeah. cognitive behavioral therapy and DBT and so forth so uh, I'm I'm getting better at not saying as much I'm just quiet now
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love that because um, cognitive behavioral therapy I actually went through that six seven years ago health and fitness industry I started comparing myself and ended up with body dysmorphia so I had to rewire and retrain that thought process and what I was telling myself about that so I think I recommend cognitive behavioral therapy to anybody that's going through any kind of any emotional distress in terms of of that, but you, you kind of also, as well as therapy, you turned to music, didn't you? As a way of expressing yourself. How did that? Music was always a way of expressing myself. Um,
2: you know, I felt, I don't know. It's, it's hard to be, I felt like it was the best way that I could communicate with people for the longest time because You know, I mean, especially with like songs with emotions to them and so forth, sometimes you can't put into words how you feel, but you can play a song and it's like, you know, this is the mood, so to speak, Um, Hmm. or this is how I feel. This is what I'm thinking. Music's always been my way of um, communicating with people, music and humor. Yeah. And you do comedy on the side, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I do comedy too. I am uh, I think we're getting ready to film a special uh, this coming winter, so I'm excited about that.
1: Nice, nice. And there's one thing that you did say that I, you know what, i never heard this before in the, the context that you put it, and I think a lot of people probably relate to it. When you say, the older you get, the darker your thoughts get, and the more uncomfortable you get sharing them. I think so, yeah. Yeah. When I heard that, I was like, that's so powerful because I think, we all put this external, as I say, shit. <laughs> we put it all on us and the societal expectations. I think just to remove all that. But you got honoured when you started doing your uh, a lot more advocacy towards it and speaking out. What was that like when you got honoured for actually coming forward and, and stepping? Did it make a huge change in respect of your circles and then in the industries that you were you were touching up on? I say no. Um,
2: don't get me wrong. The honor is fantastic and I am honored to be honored. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it didn't really, it didn't change anything in my life. You know, like you said, I mean, the ceremony was over and then, you know, mentally ill Joe was back on a flight home or, you know, well, back on a, back in a car going home. It was still in California, so I wasn't flying. But yeah, I, no, no, nothing has really, I, honestly, I, f- <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> you printed in the bio. I was like, oh. But, um, (laughs) but no, nothing changed. Like I said, I'm still, I'm still very, um, very thankful and very
1: humbled to have received the honor, but no, nothing changed. Yeah. And, And the reason I wanted to bring that up is because I think sometimes when there's so many people out there and they're saying, yes, we've come a long way when it comes to mental health and having the conversations, but in retrospect, there are still so many things that haven't come forward because there's still some people that hide behind masks because of whether corporate, whether they're anything they're in profession or thinking that people will think they're crazy or something like that. Mm. Within the music industry, as, as a creative, there are a lot of people that do share. Like, you'll see the images behind us. These are some of Australia's biggest names that I utilize photography and remove the cameras, the lights, everything that we normally see. And that, I suppose, is why... It kind of blew up so fast in Australia because people were going, Oh my God, I've never seen them without a studio or light or anything. Um, but do you find expressing it through your music a lot better for people to come to you and share their issues with you other than you just letting your emotions out? Have, have you had people come up to you and say your words have really impacted them to go and get help? Yeah, I've heard that from a few people and it's great. Wow. Mm. I think everyone.
2: Obviously, the uh, the healthcare system is different in our country, but yep. I feel like everyone should have access to, you know, these. Once again, if 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 the mind is important, if the mind is as important as we say it is, I feel like everyone should have access to these things.
1: So, if there's one thing or one solution from personal experience, and I always say it's personal experience because we're we're not here to say we're experts on these matters, but. To overcoming the stigma um, behind mental health, what, what do you think from your personal experiences and everything that you've seen in the American system could be better?
2: It could be more normalized. Um, I feel like you guys are ahead of us in that regard, for sure. Um, I don't like right now in the United States, you tell the average person you're mentally ill, they think you're about to shoot up the place and that you hear voices and that you see people, you know? Wow. Um, and there's definitely that negative, uh, stigma about it. Now I will say that there are a lot more TV shows, movies, and these kind of things that are addressing, uh, mental health issues and so forth. So there is more of a conversation happening, but I think that's it. Um, between the representation and the media and the, and the talking, that's how everything else is at the end of the day is people don't really know about it. And. In today's society, you're afraid to really try to even ask any questions because you ask the wrong question. And it's like, oh, you know, now you're getting canceled or, what, you know, whatever's happening. You, you, people are a little bit more afraid to seek answers these days. So things that they normally would just feel uneasy about, they're almost like afraid of because, you know, um, it's not humans are afraid of things that they don't know. So I would say the representation in the media and then continuing to have these kind of conversations to where people can say, like, I'm not sitting here saying you should be talking about suicide every day, you know, out in in the open in public. Yeah. But people shouldn't hear, in my mind, like you said, you know, but in my mind, people shouldn't hear suicide and go, oh, whoa, we can't talk about, you know, like, there's something that happens. Um, And people need to realize they're going to die. I feel like that's part of it, too. You know, no no one wants to, I mean, that's the one thing we're promised in life, but no one wants to talk about it. Mm. Um, But I would say those three things realizing you're going to die representation in the media and person to person conversations in real life. Yeah.
1: I think it's, I don't know. I think, I think it's coming forward in relation to people like yourself, people in the public eye, stepping forward and talking about it. But as you say, it depends on that media representation and how they spin things, whether they're going to portray it as a positive, that people are talking and let's talk about this or again, let's hide these hard, hard conversations because we've got a show, they've got a tour coming up, they've got this. And there's one person that um, I've really got a profound respect for and it's um, Scooter Braun with like Justin Bieber and all that because I thought he pulled Justin out from a concert. He pulled, um, I think it was Demi Lovato out as well. And I was like, he's got a story why he pulls people out. Because there would be a lot of managers, I presume, who would be like, no, you're going on tour. We've made this much amount of money. You need to get out there and you need to do this. Whereas him, he was, and I find out like behind the scenes, like he was a huge mental health advocate and he, he'd rather put his his effort and time to make sure his clients were good um, and do that. But w- with your music now, so how long have you been doing your music now? It's a good few years? Uh, yeah,
2: professionally, it's been uh, three or four years. Let's say four years. Let's say three
1: years. And I I do love Alone. Great lyric. The the lyrics in there are amazing. Have you got any upcoming uh, projects that you're doing at the moment? You're going on tour with your music or how? So Alone is actually
2: uh, part of a project that's coming out later this year uh, in the summer. A project called Yours Truly. uh, 16 tracks. 16 tracks on the album. Um, there's also another single from that album called I need love. I think we're going to release two more singles before we release the entire album. Um, but yeah, it's part of a,
1: part of an album that's coming out later this year. When it, when it, when it comes to the music industry, there's a lot of entrepreneurs. There's a lot of people in the entertainment industry that also listen to this because obviously there's different levels in the entertainment industry. And when it comes to Hollywood and you guys are a kind of seen up here, when it comes to what you've achieved, What's the process behind the scenes? Cause people often just see NFL, then music, but it's a totally different genre, isn't it? Like the hard work that you would have had to it's a totally put in. Job. Say again. It's a totally different job. Like nothing yeah. I did on the is going to help
2: me with music. You know, it's, I mean, it's really like starting over. Um it's been great. I mean, it's been a great process, but I would say the things behind the scenes that people don't see, obviously the mental episodes. I'm pretty private about those in terms of like, I'm, you know, I don't get on, so I try not to get on social. I never never get on, you know, try not to get on social media and these kinds of things. Um, The, you know, 20 times a day I want to (laughs) quit. You know, the times that I, you know, do something new and it's not working out as fast as I wanted to. So I start to like abuse myself mentally. Um, what else? I think you got to work out a lot just to get some of that energy out. So that's, that's part of it too. Like exercise, being a dad, uh, you know, being a husband, wearing a lot of hats, but yeah, there's a lot going on behind the scenes, like you said, that people don't
1: know. And that, these are the things that just came to mind. So there's a lot it's, more. Uh, the reason I say that is because I always remember these, um, a lady from the UK that I sang, she was in one of the groups and she was like, the music's like 10%. She was like, the rest of it, she was like, people think it's you're in the studio, you sing, you're here, you're there and that. She was like, there's so much bloody more to it. And she was like, that's where you lose your shit. She was like, nobody sees that.
2: so i mean talking to people alone is hard like yeah not talking to you but like you know like you'll see somebody in the street or whatever and you know it's it's just kind of overwhelming not all the time it's not like people come up to me in the street and i always run away but (laughs) (laughs) but sorry some of those times i mean no no no. but some of those times you know you may not be feeling it i mean And like you said about earlier, about, like, the lack of privacy, I feel like that's part of the process. Everybody knows what you're doing, where you're going, what you're making, you know, who you're making it with, these kinds of things. Um, I would say that the most frustrating part of the process is, like, unqualified people that have a bigger voice than they should. I thought that way about sports too, though. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> some dude that hasn't even played the sport that he's critiquing and he's talking about it like he's just the master of everything you know yeah he's yeah like, this isn't realistic but the average fan doesn't know you know but i know
1: <laughs> <laughs> how have you found the transition then because obviously you've been in the public eye from football to then music true. and your comedy as well but you, you're gonna have a lot of eyes on you and a lot of people come into you and being an introvert and have those moments. How have you had to deal with that sometimes instead of just walking, walking away?
2: I've gotten better at the comedy's made me much better at like speaking to people in public. I don't even know how to explain that. It just has. Yeah. Um, but I manage it by being who I would want to meet. If I met somebody that I respected, if that makes sense, like yeah. still being myself, um and I mean I'm honest with people. Like, you know, someone will come up to me, hey man, you know, I didn't take my meds today. And sometimes it's a lot. No, I'm just playing. But sometimes <laughs> you know you forget to take your medication. Like, I mean, it's a pill you gotta take three. I'm sorry, it's a group of pills you gotta take 365 days a year. Like you're not gonna be perfect. Um but yeah, just you know, being honest, being myself and making sure that I take time, I would say at home or in private to really, uh, I for lack of a better word, recharge. I know I'm not a battery, but, you know, I feel like talking to people is draining and it's that time alone, that self-care time that people talk about that really helps me um,
1: recharge and refocus. Nice. So I've got two questions and I ask everyone that comes on the campaign this with everything you've been through, what does attest to the campaign? What does being imperfectly
2: perfect mean to you? That you accept that you're a human being that's going to make mistakes and that nobody's perfect. Um, I forget who the philosopher is. I want to say it's Nietzsche. Like there's, you know, there's no such thing as normal. That's, That's it. There's no such thing as normal. I think sometimes people think that, like you said, you know, people are perfect and people have everything figured out and these kind of things, but the reality is there's no such thing as normal. We all have challenges and struggles that we face. Um, so, yeah, I would, that, like, imperfectly perfect that no one's normal. Amazing.
1: And then, it's funny how to say this because another guy that I know, he's, he He had fame, he had success, he had money, and he said ultimately it doesn't make you happy. With everything that you've been through as well, the fame, the money, everything, how are you able or what does make you happy or feel whole?
2: Spending time with my family, you know, hanging out with my daughters, my wife, uh, playing with our dogs. We got two Dobermen. Still in the puppy phase. Pray (laughs) for me. But uh <laughs> I love those dogs um making music makes me happy, making people laugh makes me happy. writing jokes makes me happy. Um, reading you know the the things that I do in my private time make me happy. going to church makes me happy um that makes me happy. But yeah, I mean, I and I heard a our preacher said this, I mean, our pastor said this this uh, past weekend, like, you know, been a pastor of a church for 15 years, you do a lot of funerals. He said no kids ever gotten up on the podium, no child of a dead parent has ever gotten up on the podium and said like, man, I wish dad would have made more money, you know. Um, but yeah, so those are the things that make
1: me happy nice nice okay so what is coming up other than you just mentioned about along being the part 16 thing any tours Mm -hmm. any anything else and where can people find you um so right now
2: you know coming out of lockdown and so forth uh, most of the shows that i do are solo shows in and around austin as things are continuing to open back up um but i do plan on doing a tour next year or the year after, I don't know. I need to talk to my manager. It's going to be like talking to him, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's... Um, but I would say as far as this year is concerned, like I, like I said earlier, the comedy special, there's a couple more singles coming out this year, but the focus is really on promoting the music that's out and the music that's coming out um, to set the stage for what's happening in the future. But yeah, and then as far as comedy goes, kind of the same thing, um, you know, shows in and around Austin are really in Texas. Um, and also I've done shows in like Louisiana, New York, uh, two random states to be in. But, um, you know, continuing to get the word out as far as the comedy is concerned to continuing to travel different places, do more shows, continue to grow as a comedian as well. And overall, just grow as an artist. But this is a uh, this is a growth year for me, a growth and promotion year. And then I'm also finishing up the album that's going to be released next year. I'm finishing up the beginning phases of the writing process for that. That's
1: exciting. No one asked, I know, but it's exciting. <laughs> and are you going to expand your growth to Australia? Are we going to see you in Australia doing some shows? Oh, yeah. If Australia have me, I'm going to do some shows tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know if they'll have you because it's so hard to get in and out of this bloody country with these mandates at the minute. So I'm trying to get out. I <laughs> I can, you know, I'll stay. No, i just. <laughs> <laughs> but I just want to say, mate, thank you for taking the time and, and sharing that story and doing all that you do for advocacy. Because I know as a guy, still there's a long way to go when it, when it comes to people speaking about it and from a profession that's known as masculinity in football and then music. And so. Thank you for that. Um, guys, I'm going to put up all the links where you can find Joseph and all his music. Make sure you head over and you download a lot of his music because the lyrics in them are, um, are amazing. But until next time, guys, keep having the hard conversations because it's the hard conversations that saves lives.
0: To find out more about the Imperfectly Perfect Campaign and how you can get involved, simply head to our official website at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org. Or email us today at info at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org to speak to one of the team. The Imperfectly Perfect campaign is creating awareness and is not a substitute for professional advice. Should you need help, please refer to your nearest crisis number.